Well, I think I uh, prefer preaching when the Panthers are playing to having to follow Annabella. <laughs> I mean, you know, might as well all go home, but no, I'm just kidding, just kidding. Uh, thank you. That was beautiful, beautiful. Um, <laughs> you know, I grew up where weddings were scheduled around college football. Any given Saturday, you dare not put a wedding on if, if somebody was pl- the dogs. Sorry. <laughs> I know it happened to them yesterday. But anyway, you better not put on a wedding when your college team is playing. And I went to more receptions than not where everybody would congregate in one room with the big screen TV. And uh, for uh, at least until this point, the NFL had kind of left Sunday mornings alone. But um, anyway, anyway, if you will, please stand. And... Uh, I'll be reading from Romans 12, 1 through 8. This might sound a bit familiar to some of you. This is one of the texts that we have used for our Bible study around Harrison Next. So hear the word of God from St. Paul. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, so we who are many are the one body of Christ, and individually we are members of one another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. And let us pray. O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in thy sight. Guide us this day. Remind us of your claim upon our lives so that we may be fully yours. For it's in the name of Christ that we live. It's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. So once again, we had events of the week that have um, been a great illustration for where this sermon was going. Ellen, right? Ellen and George Bush went to a football game together. And there they were pictured up in the, um, I'm sure, one of the more... um, Exclusive boxes, if you will, side by side, watching football. Well, we are told that all of a sudden, Twitter, uh, whatever, Twitter went viral. No. Twitter lit up. People tweeted. (laughs) Twitter lit up. And the picture went viral. And then people wanted to know, why is a gay liberal celebrity sitting with a Republican conservative president. What's going on? What has the world come to, right? 
Now, a few people wrote in and said, how nice is that? How great that people seemingly from different perspectives can be friends. Imagine. Imagine. And Ellen, I I don't usually watch Ellen, but I, I saw the replay of it. I don't know if it's at the beginning of her show or the end, but in her monologue, she claimed it. She said, you know, why can't we just be friends? Why can't we go to a football game with our spouses and sit there with people who might think differently than we do? And of course, she summed it all up with those words, can we not just be kind? Can we not just be kind to everyone? You know, growing up, it never dawned on me to separate myself from people who disagreed with me. It never dawned on me that there might be somebody sitting on the pew down the road that might have different perspectives when they hear the preacher preach. Never dawned. My family disagrees about just about everything. I mean, it's full of lawyers. We argue all the time. My husband and I disagree. My kids are forming their own opinion, I'm told repeatedly. You do you, Mom. I'll do me. More times than I care to count. And yet, we find this space of just being human, of just being willing to sit and to be and to share life with those of different opinions. We get a lot of practice at Romans 12, 3. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Know that you are absolutely claimed by Christ. We'll get to that in a minute. But don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Because I think what Paul is getting out at, that's how we all get along. With a good dose of humility. And the good dose of willing to put relationship above opinion. And and so, like I said, we get a lot of practice at doing things like that. One of the things that keeps me humble is the fact that my parents would discuss the sermon after they went home every Sunday afternoon. And they never, ever placed value on worship. Onto what they heard the preacher say. They liked some sermons, they didn't like others. They disagreed, they agreed, they were challenged, they changed their minds. But they never determined the value of worship, the value of their relationship with other believers based on anything other than God had called this body of faith together. And for whatever reason God sees fit to work through any given body of Christ, any given church, that is what is primary to who we are as God's children. And I think it In one way or another, I guess, it's a form of not conforming to the culture around us when we choose to get along, when we choose to be inquisitive rather than angry, when we choose to be humble rather than judgmental, when we choose not to define ourselves by perceived differences, but rather, again, to define ourselves just as part part of God's human family. It's resistance nowadays, evidently. And for our purposes, it plays right into this text. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your minds. This is a call. And this is a claim. And and this is what God is inviting us to consider this day. How is it 
that we enter into relationship, how is it that we embody Christ? Not thinking of ourselves too highly, but willing to put relationship as an integral part of our witness to others. Now, Paul was writing to a very diverse community. He was writing to the church in Rome. He'd never been there before, and yet he was trying to prepare the way so that they would welcome him when he got there, trying to share a little bit of how he understood Jesus with these early believers. And I tell you, these believers were all over the place in terms of history and culture, in terms of language and experience. And they were all over. Some were Jews, some were Gentiles, not non-Jews. They're all over the place, and and Paul writes to them to bring them to this one idea that conversion, right? It's conversion that has made you part of this Christian family. It's this belief in Christ that has created this body, and therefore, that is where we start. It's not that your histories and your culture and your language and your experience are, are, are to be negated, but we bring it all here together. And begin with this new identity in Christ, this family, if you will, that we've all entered into, this body of many parts, which God calls to be one for the sake of the world. And I think that that is what bridges us with the church 2,000 years ago, this, this diversity, this different histories, these different opinions, these different cultures, We are not unlike those early believers. And so what Paul says to them hits right home with the rest of us. We all come together. We all are this part of this body based on our belief, our faith, the grace given to us, as Paul puts it, to begin a relationship with God through Christ and to sustain a relationship with this unique body that God has brought together. Again, bringing our history, bringing our traditions, bringing our experiences as different as they might be, but telling the world that we will not define ourselves over and against and be conformed to the likes of them. We will be transformed by the renewing of our mind as we carry on in this relationship with Jesus. Verse 1. I think it's so important in our text today. Verse 1 simply tells us, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. He wants all of us. He wants our entire being. He just doesn't want our heads or our hearts or our hands or our feet. What I think the beginning of this chapter means to present our bodies as a holy and living sacrifice means that we're all in. Means that we're willing to define ourselves by not conforming to this world, but by being transformed, body and soul, flesh and spirit, mind and heart, hands and feet, that we are all in. Because it's really hard to maintain faith if you've got one foot standing outside the door. It's really hard to maintain this identity in Christ if you constantly are looking back rather than forwards. Where is it that God is calling us? Put it all in, he says. I I like the way the message puts it. Romans 12, 1, according to the message, we need you all in 
Present your bodies as living sacrifices, not just your minds, but your heart and your limbs, all of it. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, your going to work, your walking around, and place it before God. Embracing all that God wants to do for us is the best thing that we can do for Him. All in is what we are told by Paul in Romans, then and now. One of the things that was true about the early church is that it was under great threat. The early believer lived under great duress, great challenges. And yet the church thrived in that atmosphere. The church grew in spirit and in number in an atmosphere of duress, in an atmosphere of challenge. I don't think we ought to bellyache about that now. I think we embrace who it is that God has called us to be, distinct and separate, unique. Not to the exclusion of others. Remember, this is about conversion. All are welcomed. That's how it operates. We're not a biological faith. We don't get born into it. We get born again into it. Creating this family. So so the early church under great duress knew that in order to survive, in order to make it, they had to be all in. And sometimes I think we get just a little too complacent or just a little too comfortable with the thoughts that that we can have one foot in the door and one foot out. Or that we can get to Jesus on our own time and schedule and then just go off and do what we need to do and then come back, back and forth, back and forth. You can give it a try, but you're not going to grow. Not in spirit. The early church knew this. And I think that that is their witness to us again when the church thrived in those early days. They were all in. And they challenge us to be all in as well. It's how we make it. It's how we get through. It's how, if you will, we hold one another accountable. It's how we manage to be with one another despite of, in spite of, with our differences. If we're all in, then there are no options but to get along. Now looking back. Only stepping forwards. Now this, like I said, is nothing new to the, early, to the early church. It's nothing new to Methodists either. In the mid-1700s, there was a lot of wrangling going on in the church. The Methodist church had not yet become a distinct entity. A lot of fussing about how it was they were going to worship and witness and serve. And John Wesley wrote these words. He said, though we might not all think alike, can we love alike? And though we might uh, be of different opinion, may our hearts be the same. Again, nothing new. Can we not, if we don't all think alike, that's a given. Can we not love alike? He asks, and of course he answers it, yes. Yes. Because we're all in and in this journey together and we recognize the value of those who are all in as well. And we take the next step and the next step and the next step after that, seeking to be faithful in all that is going on. Now, 
I mentioned the early church under great duress. I mentioned the, the, the early Methodists. There was duress. There was struggle going on there. What about us? What are we struggling with? It seems to be a necessary ingredient for faith to grow. It seems to be part of a church thriving, whether it's the early church or a new movement being birthed within the Anglican church, movement of Methodists. What is it that puts a little pressure on us, that challenges us, that helps us then to look to one another for sustenance and survival and count one another and each other's experience as absolutely necessary for this body, one member not okay without the other. As I said, sometimes I think the church can become complacent because we have this general acceptance. We have this general acceptance of, of who we are and, and what we do and, and why people might not all participate. There is this general milieu, especially in the southeast, that church is a good thing. But what that does, I think, perhaps causes those within the church to become complacent about identity about the need not to conform but be transformed by the renewing of our minds and you know who Sandy Koufax is anybody remember him yes. yeah okay thank you Sandy Koufax one of the greatest pictures of all times right Right, okay. One of the greatest pitchers of all times. On Yom Kippur, he refused to pitch in the World Series in 1965. His faith came before his profession. His faith and the practice thereof came first and foremost. And in his autobiography, he writes, it was never even a question whether or not I would play that game. It was never even a question among the players, among the manager. It was never even a question. They knew that on a high holy day of my faith, I'd opt out of the world. And I would be faithful to my identity and claim that relationship as primary in all that I do. In many ways, minority faiths have to stand together in order to survive. When I was working at Duke Chapel, the rabbi who was there the for the student group, he, his wife had a baby, and he said, you know that when my son turns four or five, we're moving out of Durham because I want my child raised in a community where there are a lot of Jewish people. It's important to gather together, to be of one, to practice faith, to be in a community where Hanukkah is talked about like Christmas. And it was that important for him. And that was one of the ways he was able to opt out and be distinct and different and that he believed his child would thrive in their faith. So many times it's easy, again, for those of us in a dominant faith not to claim that distinctness, not to claim that uniqueness, not to know that we cannot be conformed to this world, but we must be transformed of our, in our, uh, through the renewing of our minds if we're to be faithful. And time is a commodity. I, I get it. It's a precious one at that. And yet, what do we do with our time? How is it that we order our daily lives, opting in, opting out, not being transformed, not, not being conformed to the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, understanding ourselves as all in it together, part of one body, everybody just as valuable as one another with different intents and functions 
How is it that we get that God has set us apart for this witness? Certainly it's in the Old Testament. It's in the new one as well. How is it we are set apart for witness and for blessing of those around us? That's the history of the people of God. That's what we are not to conform to this world, but to understand ourselves by the renewing of our mind as transformed, seeking to bless all the world. As Kyle mentioned, we have entered into our stewardship season, and, and so we are in this interesting place, I guess, for Harrison Church, where we're trying to make up for 2019 and trying to look forward to 2020, and it gets a little muddled. But what I want to say to you is that whatever we do with our money is, is part of discipleship. However it is, we opt in or opt out. However it is, we buy into a culture that commodifies everything and that we have to spend money in order to keep up with the Joneses. However it is, we resist that. So that ministry may be supported. That's a unique body that is not conforming to this world either. And I think for our purposes as believers, we, we understand gifts financial gifts, whatever number you're able to do as part of resisting a culture dominated by materialism and consumerism. I think it's part of how we opt out. We reprioritize what it is we do so that we may support ministry that we claim to be important, so that we may act as faithful disciples. You know, I think it's interesting. I worked at a foundation for five years, and one of our <clears throat> topics was stewardship. We'd go into different churches and, and so forth and, and do stewardship campaigns and, and um, preach and that sort of thing. The average gift to a church in America, be it Catholic, mainline, evangelical, the average gift to a church in America is right around 3% of one's income. Average. And interestingly enough, Harrison right now is about 2.5% to 3% of the income within a six-mile radius, if you're a numbers person. I'll give you that. Do we want to be an average church? Do we want to be average in our discipleship? How is it that we deny, again, those things that would ask us to prioritize ourselves differently? And be a church that thrives in spirit and in outreach. And, a spirit, and be in a church that thrives in helping us be faithful in our journey as disciples. It's one of the gifts. A gift of the spirit. A call, a claim. Just like all the others. Gift of song, sing. Gift of prayer, pray. Gift of teaching, teach. In other places in the scripture, Paul will say, if you have the gift of healing, heal. The gift of exhortation, exhort. It's all part of who we are and all part of our discipleship and all part of we how we take the next step in being a disciple of Christ. Are we all in? Because evidently that's what Paul is asking us to do, to be so that we may not find ourselves conforming to this world, but being transformed by the renewing of our minds and acting as the body of Christ, all in it together, each doing our part. God help it to be so. Amen.
and let us pray. Gracious God, we do give you thanks for your claim upon your, our lives, for your willingness to call us your own through the grace of Jesus Christ. What a privilege. What a privilege. What a responsibility. What an opportunity. What a life is this life of discipleship. God, by your spirit, help us to be all in. In body, soul, mind, heart, all of it. God, help us to be all in, knowing that you have gifted us in any number of ways so that we might take the next step in the journey of faith, mindful of the blessing you've called us to be uh, to others. God, help us so prioritize our lives so that we may be found faithful, not conforming to this world, but having been transformed by your spirit. For it's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. You know, when Koufax opted out of that game, he still got into the Hall of Fame. Are we all in? Amen. May God help it to be so. Amen.